Well, Lindsay, for what it's worth, we didn't need a video. You did a great job. So grateful for you and that ministry and for just your commitment to this church body. You're a blessing and your ministry is a blessing and so grateful for you and everything you had to say. Uh, last week we talked about what it means to live kingdom-worthy lives. It's a lifestyle that reflects our heavenly citizenship, knowing that we were born into the domain of darkness by our birthright. We belonged to a sin-cursed world. But we learned that God rescued us from the domain of darkness. And when he did, he transferred us from the domain of darkness to the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Our citizenship is based on our relationship with God. As we transfer our allegiance from the domain of darkness and we submit ourselves to the righteous rule of God, turning from selfish desires to considering the needs of others as more important than our own. Because we learn that part of being a kingdom citizen means that we carry on the work of Christ in this world. And we know that even Jesus did not come to be served, but to serve. And to give his life as a ransom for many. And so the scripture calls us to, to make our lives a living sacrifice. Holy and acceptable to God. So does that mean that Christians are destined to live miserable lives? Always sacrificing the good things in life out of obedience to Christ. Is that what it looks like? May it never be. As we learned last week, we believe that God is not trying to rip us off, that he actually wants to set us free, that being a Christian does not mean that you're giving up the good things in life. In fact, you're trusting in him for something better. And as you see in the back of the bulletin, I'm telling you again this morning, you are my something better. Lindsay Christensen, you are my something better. I see evidences of God's work all throughout this church body. And that's the blessing of being a part of his family. It's the conviction that God's intent is to bring about his highest good so that we can proclaim the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness into his marvelous light, that our lives give testimony to the goodness of God built into his design. We're ambassadors for Christ in a sin-cursed world, strangers and aliens in a world that's not our home. In fact, nothing this world has to offer can come even close to comparing with our eternal inheritance. In fact, the scripture tells us that even suffering, even hard times in this world builds up a bank account of blessing waiting for us in heaven. It says that these momentary afflictions, these temporary struggles that we face this side of heaven are creating and they're producing an eternal weight of glory that is far beyond all comparison. That's a promise. That's the conviction of what it means to be a kingdom-minded citizen. But here's where I want us to go this morning. Being a kingdom-minded citizen is not possible without living in Christ-centered community. 
If you don't hear anything else I say this morning, please hear that because everything I say is intended to support that statement. We cannot be a kingdom-minded citizen without living in the midst of Christ-centered community. You see, the kingdom of God is not something that's isolated to an individual experience. The kingdom requires community. The kingdom is a collection of saints. The church is intended to be a heavenly outpost of kingdom citizens in a foreign land. The Bible says that we're the first fruits. And what that's intended to communicate is that we display a future reality that is yet to be fulfilled. But right here and now, in this world in which we live, the question is, what exactly does that look like? What does it mean to be a kingdom-minded community in our world today? Well, that's what we're going to look at together this morning. So before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, as we come to you this morning, we, we really do want to understand your heart on this. There's a lot of talk about community inside and outside the church. There's a lot of talk about fellowship and relationships, and quite frankly, it can get confusing. And so, Lord, would you help us see more clearly your design? Help us understand more faithfully your intent so that it would resonate in our hearts in a way that we would be compelled to live it out in our lives in our families, and in this body of believers. Give us eyes to see. Give us ears to hear and speak clearly through the work of your Spirit in our lives this morning. We pray this in your name. Amen. So, before we get into describing what kingdom-minded community is, I want to take just a brief moment to describe what it's not. Kingdom-minded community is not isolated to what happens Right here on Sunday morning. The kingdom of God cannot be contained or confined within the boundaries of a building. It is so much bigger than that. Kingdom-minded citizenship cannot be isolated to church membership. It's even bigger than that. But we like to compartmentalize things into categories, don't we? We like to have things in a nice little box so that we can label it and put it on the shelf. But when we do that, we run a great risk of making some subtle compromises. And let me give you an example. There's a term we use in the church, even around this church here at Melanie Park, that I think speaks to this issue. It's the term regular attender. <laughs> what exactly is a regular attender? Well, typically, not always, but typically what a regular attendant is intended to describe is a person who regularly attends a Sunday morning worship service, okay? Now, by regular, let me clarify, I certainly don't mean every single Sunday, because let's be honest, nobody does that anymore, okay? So, a regular attender is somebody who is here more often than not. That's their level of commitment. That's a regular attender. And this has become an acceptable practice in the church culture today. Every church I have ever known is filled with regular attenders, including this one. But I believe that it is a pattern that could betray the 
description of what the New Testament church is called to be about. Because by and large, not always, but by and large, a regular attender is someone who consumes religious services but does not contribute to a life of ministry. That's certainly not something you see in the life of the church through Scripture. And in their defense, we have allowed this mindset to be acceptable when we isolate kingdom-minded community to what happens on Sunday morning. Regular attendance becomes a, a manageable category, something that we can check off the list and feel like we've done our duty. But kingdom-minded community cannot be isolated to what happens on Sunday morning. It's much bigger than that. So in today's church culture, there's a, a very common practice that we've employed here at Melanie Park as well, and that is small groups, right? It's another connecting point for kingdom citizens to intersect lives at some point during the week beyond Sunday morning. It's not a bad thing, but I want you to hear me again. Kingdom-minded community cannot be isolated to small groups. It's much bigger than that. Especially if it's just another place to consume religious input. The point I'm trying to make is that true kingdom community cannot be compartmentalized into isolated events. Let me give you an example. Listen to this description and see if this helps. The church is a place where we love one another, where we care for one another, where we serve one another, where we show forbearance and forgive one another, where we are hospitable to one another, where we employ our gifts of serving one another, where we greet one another. We're of the same mind with one another, where we're kind to one another, where we speak to one another with psalms and hymns. And spiritual songs. It's where we build comfort and pray for one another. It's where we live in peace with one another. It's where we clothe ourselves in humility towards one another. It's where we're subject to one another, encouraging one another towards love and good deeds. It's where we confess our sins to one another. Now you tell me, does that sound like something that you can do in isolated events throughout the week? And even more than that, is it even possible to be authentic with our care if it's dictated by our schedule? I'm sorry, I'd love to encourage you today, but it's just not Sunday, right? We, we don't say things like that, but sometimes we live like that. Kingdom-minded community cannot be isolated to Sunday morning, nor can it be scheduled to special events throughout the week. Kingdom-minded community is a lifestyle, not an event. Kingdom-minded community is a lifestyle, not an event. The kingdom of God is not something that can be isolated to individual experience. The kingdom is a community. It is a collection of saints. And so now that we're clear on what it's not... <laughs> Let's begin to think about what it is. In order to do that, I want you to turn to uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23, because what I just said could be easily misunderstood. And so let's look at this passage in Hebrews chapter 10, 
beginning in verse 23. It says there, let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to encourage one another towards love and good deeds, not forsaking our own assembling together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. So, yes, kingdom-minded community cannot be isolated to Sunday morning, but at the same time, we should not forsake our gathering together whenever that takes place. So please don't hear me say that regular church attendance is not all that important. Nor am I saying that church membership is really not that big of a deal. In fact, not only are they important, I believe that they are vital to a faithful Christian life. We cannot live kingdom-worthy lives without living within Christ-centered community. You see, the kingdom-minded community is actually part of our calling. In verse 25, it says, Do not forsake your gathering together. That word forsake is a powerful word in the original language. It means to abandon or to desert. It has this idea of a commissioned soldier who goes AWOL, who abandons or deserts his fellow soldiers. Not only does he put his own life at risk, but he also endangers the other members of his platoon. His isolation makes him an easy target for the enemy. And his abandonment of his post puts a lot of other people into harm's way. Well, as a kingdom citizen, you and I have been commissioned to carry on the work of Christ in this world. And in many ways, your local body is like your platoon. You're an ambassador for Christ. And you have a valuable role in God's kingdom plan. But when you isolate yourself from the body of Christ, you become an easy target for the enemy. And not only that, when you abandon that role that God's called you to within his body, you put other people at risk as well. Being a member of a local church is not just a commitment to show up on Sunday morning. Kingdom-minded community is much bigger than that. It's a decision to, to lock hearts and to live life intentionally with other believers. It absolutely includes Sunday morning, but a whole lot more. You see, God's design for the body of Christ has a specific purpose in mind. As I've tried to repeat over and over again in a hundred different ways, there's goodness built into that design. And I want you to see what that looks like. So turn to Ephesians chapter 4. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11. Paul writing says, And he gave some as apostles, and some as prophets, some as evangelists, some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God to a mature man, to the measure of the stature which belongs to the fullness of Christ. The purpose of the church is to equip the saints for the work of ministry. It's a 
heart of service, a service that is ultimately built on the foundation of truth that was laid by the apostles and the prophets. We know that because of earlier in that same letter in chapter 2, verse 19, we actually looked at this verse last week in verse 19. It says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but fellow citizens with the saints and are of God's household. And now verse 20, having been built upon the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. We continue the work of Christ built on the foundation of truth, having been laid by the apostles and the prophets. It's a work that continues through evangelists, through, through pastors, and through teachers. And you need to hear something this morning. In this body, in this one body, there are lots of evangelists. There are many pastors. There is a wealth of teachers. And that's not all. There are those who serve to lead ministry. There's those who serve meals for those in need. There are those who pray. There are those who visit and care for those who are alone. And I could go on and on and on. The point is, Paul's not making an exhaustive list here so that we can check it off and say, yeah, got that, got that. He's giving us a representative example to help, help us understand that, that God has equipped every church to carry out the work of service that he intends for us to complete. He designed the role of the body of Christ in such a way that every single person has a role to play. Just look how all-inclusive it is in chapter 4, verse 11, for the equipping of all the saints for the work of service to the building up of the entire body of Christ, so that all of us attain to the unity of the faith. There's no distinction anywhere in Scripture between lay people and clergy. From those who are in full-time ministry and those who are in volunteer ministry. Those are labels that we have applied to distinguish people into compartmentalized categories. They do not exist in Scripture because we are all one in one body, called and equipped to carry out a work of service. The fact of the matter is we all have a part to play. And I think probably the best place to go to see that being described is 1 Corinthians chapter 12. So turn, if you will, to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Chapter 12, verse 18 says that God places each of the members, each of them, every single one of them, in the body just as he desires. In verse 7, he says he gives each of them, every single one of them, a spirit-empowered role for the common good of the body. In other words, this is all-inclusive. Every single person is equipped for a work of service. And I want you to notice that there's actually a direct correlation between unity in the body where we're each fulfilling those roles and given to us by Christ and, and the maturity of our faith in Christ in that process. So back in uh, Ephesians chapter 4, sorry I have you moving around a lot. You can just listen, I have it up there. Uh, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 12, for the equipping of the saints, for the work of the service, to the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to a mature man. It's important to know that the 
when the Bible talks about unity here, it's not talking about this idea of us all believing the same thing. The idea of unity here is a unity of purpose, where we're each fulfilling our God-ordained task. Our work of service is for the common good of the body of Christ. In other words, my faith in Christ is connected to your work of service. My faith in Christ is connected to your work of service. I grow to maturity because of your contribution. That's why we do not forsake our own gathering together because it puts us at risk when we don't fulfill our God-given role because it's connected to others within this body. Part of God's design is an interdependence upon one another. It is not good for man to be alone, that we were made in the image of and for the purpose of community. Kingdom requires community, where our faith is connected to the contribution of the saints, where your work of service is ultimately tied to the well-being of the body of Christ. That's why the metaphor of the human body makes so sense. And that's why Paul spends so much time on it back in 1 Corinthians chapter 12. He, he uses it multiple times to help portray the message. In fact, just look at verse 14. For the body is not one member, but many. And if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I'm not part of the body. It's not for that reason that any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I'm not a part of the body. It's not for this reason that he's any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the hearing be? If we're, the whole were hearing, where would the sense of smell be? But now, God has placed each of the members in the body just as he desired. God determines what part we play. And every member of the body has a valuable role. Like the human body, it is a design of interdependence where the well-being of the whole is connected to the faithfulness of the individuals. The growth of my faith depends on your contribution. You see, God designed the church very specifically for us to have intentional relationships, for us to have be purposefully equipped, but also for a place of spiritual healing. Turn to James chapter 5. James chapter 5, verse 16. James chapter 5, verse 16 says, Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of righteous man can accomplish much. I'm convinced that the healthiest people in any church are the ones who are willing to be vulnerable. You see, we're not only marked by community, we're made by community. And you can see that even within a small example, which is actually a big example, of marriage. 
Larry and Emily and I were talking after church last week, and we talked about the fact, and I've mentioned this before, and if you're married, you know this to be true. I never knew how selfish I was until I got married. And then I began to see all kinds of things that were centered around me. And I thought I was doing pretty good until we had kids. <laughs> and then I realized there was a whole other territory that I had yet to uncover. It's like graduate studies and selfishness, right? But God uses relationships in our life as a tool for sanctifying our hearts. We're not just marked by community. We are made by community. But it only works when we're willing to be vulnerable, when we confess our sins, when we're honest about our fears. Relationships on any level will not thrive when our hearts remain hidden. You see, honesty is the mark of a healthy marriage. Honesty is the mark of a healthy family. Honesty and vulnerability is the mark of a healthy church. Because we are shaped by relationships with one another. But in order for that to happen, we have to be real careful to cultivate an environment of grace in order for that to be safe. And there's a great place in Scripture that I think describes that environment. So let's look at that together. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Colossians chapter 3, verse 12. Paul writing to the Colossians, I think, is describing what it looks like to have an environment of grace so that vulnerability is safe and lives can be changed and we can be healed. It says in verse 12, And so, as those who have been chosen of God, holy and beloved, put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other, whoever has complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so also should you. And beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity and let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which indeed you were called in one body and be thankful why are we thankful because this was God's idea all along he designed it for his highest good in our life notice how each individual part of the body has an individual responsibility it says Put on these attributes. You, individually, put them on. It's like getting dressed every morning. You clothe yourself with compassion. You clothe yourself with humility. You clothe yourself with kindness. And notice these are relational words. We have compassion with one another. We have kindness towards each other. We're humble in our relationships with each other. We're quick to forgive, slow to anger. Willing to reconcile. I think this environment highlights what may be the most important attribute of the church. You see, a kingdom-minded community is important because it's how we truly and fully experience the person and work of Christ. You see, when we forgive one another as we've been forgiven, we understand what that forgiveness is all about. We better understand love from God when we learn to love one another. 
when we're willing to sacrifice our own needs for the needs of someone else, man, that draws us real close to the heart of God who sacrificed his life on our behalf. You see, our knowledge of God is inherently tied into our relationships of one another. We see it being lived out within the life of the body by God's design. That's part of the goodness that's built into the design because it helps reveal the beauty of the person and work of Christ when we live out the environment of grace. Do you see that? I think Paul does a good job of explaining the lifestyle of this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Verse 8. If you want to turn there, you can. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8. But it says this. Having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. I want to suggest to you this morning that the gospel of God includes their own lives. That's the gospel being lived out in their relationships with one another. It's love that is expressed when we share life with other people. You can talk about the Bible all you want to, but relationships is where that truth comes to life. In fact, our relationships with one another is how we draw closer to the heart of Christ. That's part of the goodness that's built into God's design. The Bible says we forgive as we have been forgiven. We love one another as he has loved us. We do unto others as he has done to us. How we relate to one another should reveal the heart and work of Jesus Christ. It's why the Bible says the church displays the manifold wisdom of God. I believe that the manifold wisdom of God is best displayed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that gospel of Jesus Christ is lived out when we forgive one another, when we love one another, when we sacrifice our own needs for the good of one another. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ, and that's the manifold wisdom of God being displayed through the life of the church. They will know that we belong to him because of our love for one another. once again, the kingdom of God is not something that we isolate to individual experience. The kingdom requires community. It is a collection of saints. It is a willful decision to invest deeply and to live intentionally with other believers. It includes Sunday morning, yes, but it includes a, a whole lot more. It's a lifestyle, not an event. We get to know Jesus and his heart when we learn to relate to one another in an environment of grace. Now, I don't know about you, but there are times in my life when as much as I want to, I don't feel close to God. It just kind of feels like there's distance there. Maybe I'm the only one, but I definitely have those seasons. And, and I want to see his hand at work, but sometimes it's hard for me to see where he's working because there's hard stuff going on. But I've learned that over time, that this becomes most prevalent in my life when I become isolated from the body of Christ. Because here's some truth about me. When I'm lonely or hurt, I often withdraw. I isolate. And when I do, I lose sight 
God's hand. The fact is, God's hand is at work among his people. And if I want to see God's hand at work, I need to live life with God's people. We cannot live kingdom-worthy lives without living in Christ-centered community. And I do believe that in some ways I'm preaching to the choir here because this church does this well. But can we all agree that no matter how we're doing, there's always room to do better? Is that fair? And so maybe that's kind of where we finish up our time this morning is just with the challenge of doing one thing better. And I don't know what that is because we're all at different points in this spectrum of relationships. Whether we're hanging out on the fringes or we're deeply involved, whether we're a regular attender or a devoted member, I want to encourage us all to take one step further. Remember, this is a lifestyle, not an event. And so with that in mind, let me get something straight, be very clear right here. We're all busy, and nobody in this room, not a single person has time for one more thing. But if you're hearing this is one more thing, you've misunderstood everything I've tried to communicate. We are created for community. There is goodness built into God's design. We're not just marked by community. We are made by community. It's where the truth of God comes to life in our heart. It's where the presence of God is made visible in our lives. This is not something that we do. It's who we are. It's how God designed us to function. It's not an add-on. It's God's calling on our life. And faithful obedience is not possible without living faithfully within Christ-centered community. And so let me just speak about some practical suggestions that we've talked about before, but I want to revisit them. The things that we try to do within the life of a church are intended to be avenues in which to build relationships, to live out kingdom-minded community. And so there are some easier pathways than others, and I think probably the easiest pathway, the on-ramp into community, is a Sunday morning ABF. And the reason that is is because it's in the first hour and a half before the worship service. So how easy is that? Same day, just a little bit earlier, it's not difficult. But it allows you to interact with some people on a smaller group level where you actually get to know names, you get to hear stories. You get to pray for one another. And it's a great way to enter into community. But on that ramp, as you enter into community, there are some other places that you might consider. And one of them I mentioned is small groups, which is not a bad thing. As long as we're not there just to consume more religious input, but we're there actually to build relationships, willing to be vulnerable with one another in an environment of grace, so that God can teach us about himself as we love one another, as we forgive one another, as we serve one another. And so that's a great place. And if you're not plugged into something like that, we want to help you do that. But even beyond that, these are events in some ways. And I think if we really want to be faithful to living in kingdom-minded community, we've got to figure out a way for our lives just to naturally intersect with other believers in the course of a given week. 
just somehow being able to invite someone over for a meal. So, example, Kelly and Hisa invited my wife and I over for a meal, and Hisa fixed the most amazing Japanese dinner I've ever had in my life. And during that meal, we got to hear their story of how they came to faith and how they met, and it was a beautiful story of God's work in their life. See, if you don't know that story, you're missing out. Because I saw the work of Christ in new and amazing ways by listening to that story. I also learned in that story that uh, Hisa, who's only been a believer for a couple of years, ran into John Clemens one day. This is a natural intersection. This is a good example. John Clemens, knowing that he was a new believer, said, Hey, Hisa, do you have anybody helping you kind of grow in your faith and understand what it means to follow Christ? No, not really. Would you like to do that together? Yeah, I would love to. So John and Hisa have been spending consistent time going through the gospel of John and trying to understand what it means to, to faithfully follow Christ. And from Hisa's perspective, he is loving every minute of it. See, that wasn't an event. That was a natural intersection that took place. We also had time with Taylor and Katie. Another great opportunity to get to know the hearts of a younger generation in this church. And I'll tell you what I told them when we had <coughs> dinner at my house. I said, you know, as I look at the future of this church and I see it through the eyes of a couple like you, I feel very comforted in where the Lord is leading us because I believe you faithfully follow Christ and you love this body of believers. I'm grateful for you. And so we need to be able to engage with one another so that we can speak life and encouragement into the lives of one another. Here's the other thing that Taylor and Katie and I were talking about whenever we began to think about young couples in this church. Well, when I was a young couple, we won't talk about how long that was, but there was a day when actually Terry and I were a young couple. And uh, there was a large group of young couples who met in a class that and, and live life together. We, we had kids at the same time. It was the Taps. It was the Hodges. It was so many of the people that are already a part of this body, that we, the Johnstons and many, many others. We got to know Tom and Jenny Johnston because Jenny and I happened to work together at the hospital. We learned that they lived nearby, and so we just began to go hang out at the park together. And we have a lifetime relationship because of that. It was a natural intersection. It was an intentional pursuit of moving deeper into community because of a shared faith and commitment in Jesus Christ. You getting a picture of what I'm trying to describe here? And so let's make sure that we don't compartmentalize what it means to be a kingdom-minded community into events that we participate in, but more of a lifestyle that intersects naturally and very purposefully with the intent of building one another up. Okay? I'm grateful for you. <laughs> you are my something better. But I always think that no matter where we're at, there are ways that we can grow in our faithfulness. And I think this is one of those places. That passage in Hebrews chapter 10 says at the very end, encourage each other towards love and good deeds, and even more as the day draws near. Why does it say that? It's because there will be a day when we go through hard times. When if we neglect what he's called us to, we will wish we had it. 
there will be a day when this world continues to twist off before the Lord's return that what now is kind of an add-on, it's an a la carte option, becomes vital to life. And we can't figure out how in the world we would live without it. My encouragement to us is that we don't wait till that day. We start practicing that right now so that when that day comes, it doesn't change a thing about how we're living life right here and now. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this body of believers, for this family who has been intentional. But we know in each of our hearts, mine included, that there are always ways that we can be more faithful, be more intentional. Not just in events and things that we participate in, but in natural intersections where we are purposeful about pursuing one another, encouraging one another towards love and good deeds. Lord, we know that you designed it for a purpose, and we experience your goodness when we live according to your design. This is one of those examples. And so, Father, give us faith to pursue these things, not just because we're supposed to, because the pastor talked about it on Sunday, but because you intended it for our highest good in a way that brings you ultimate glory, because this is your idea. And so may we be faithful for the praise and glory of your name and be thankful for the example that we have in our Savior, Jesus Christ. May we go and love one another as he's loved us. Forgive one another as he's forgiven us. Encourage one another as he so faithfully encourages us. We pray this in his name. Amen. Have a great day.